Perhaps you've watched and see all this chaos that's going into the world, and the big question on your mind is, how is this all going to play out? How is this going to play out with China taking an act like a bag full of weenies, not actually being very good partners in the world space right now? There's a book that came out. This is called The Fourth Turning, and what it talks about is every 80 years, there is a significant transaction or event that takes and transpires where they call it a fourth turning. And what it is, is in this fourth turning, there is a massive upheaval that takes and transpires. And right now, you probably feel it in your bones that we are actually at that tipping point where there's going to be a significant shift in, inside the world. So to be able to help understand this, we're going to look at Peter Zion's book called The Beginning of the End. And this is to help us understand how things are playing out or how things are transpiring inside the world so that we can figure out how to play the game as we move forward. Like, basically where I feel like what we're doing is we're playing Russian roulette, except instead of spinning the wheel, we're just pulling the trigger going click, 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 and at some point, it's going to go bang, and we know it. Now we're trying to figure out how do you get ready for this. So to take and to be able to understand this, we are living in, we are living in a different time. Think about this, okay? Uh, and <clears throat> let's see, we've witnessed the release of more than 30 ever more sophisticated versions of iPhones in the last 15 years, and we are attempting to shift to electric vehicles at 10 times the pace we adopted traditional combustion engines. The one thing is, is that we know in today's market, everything has gone, it's been faster and more available than ever. But all of that is actually in the process of changing and unwinding. You can see it right here, right now, as you take and you look at what's transpiring with China. China, their orders going into the country are down 40%. They're in COVID, they're in lockdown. Like that country right here, right now is in the process of collapsing. And you're seeing things that are coming out that you're making, they're, they're causing you to pause to say, wait a minute, what does all this mean? And how does all this play out into the great theater? One of the things that took and transpired that, that made, made this entire experience, being able to create Basically, I would say we've been in the good life. We've been in a, in a time and an age that's been better than any other, any other civilization, civilization has ever had inside this world. We have more of everything. We have a better lifestyle. And the big thing that took and it transpired, after World War II, the United States said, look, we, we're going to rewrite the Constitution for Germany because we already know that you guys already keep triggering these wars. So we're going to write a Constitution and make it much, much more difficult for you to do it. And at the time, the next big threat was Russia. And we're trying to figure out the Soviet Union. How do you take and contain Soviet Union? Normally, when you take and have a world war like this, what you do is you put boots on the ground and then you occupy the countries that you have. You build an empire. The Americans already had... An empire. Therefore, it made no sense to take and to obtain another empire when we already had an empire at home. So what we did is we created a coalition. Um, it was like the Brett, Brett's, Brett's Agreement. And what it is is it brought all these countries together and said, look, we're going to be a coalition. We're going to work together. What we're going to do in exchange is America will take and secure all the, will secure the oceans, all the shipping lanes. What this means for everybody is we will make it so that you can transport, move goods across the pond anywhere in the world at any time without having threat that somebody will come out and steal your stuff and disrupt it. And as a result, we took and we triggered a massive industrialization that started taking place inside the world. 
Now the big question on your mind is, is wait a minute. So if he's triggered this thing, is it possible? Is it very possible that this could unwind faster than we ever thought was possible? And the answer is 100% yes. And so what we do is we're digging into this, to the book, trying to understand what took and transpired that took and allowed all of this to take place. Okay, so we're going to have to back up just a little bit. So if we go look at the beginning of time, when, when we used to do farming, like you had, to, you had to be in proximity to water. You had to be in great places to be able to take into farm. So like, let's just say you're down there in Arizona or one of these places that are kind of arid. Okay, you don't, you, maybe you have good sunlight hours, but you don't have access to water. You don't have access to the resources to be able to have a good plant or a good planting. And so it really controlled where we could live, what we could do by based on our a need to have access to good soil, water, so that we can make food. So there's an evolution that starts taking place. There's evolutions that took in place uh, in having water being able to take into pipe it to different places. There's a wind evolution. We would use wind to be able to generate energy to make things happen. So collectively, before the 1970s, there was really only three ways of being able to generate energy. So it was muscle, we had water, and we had wind. Now, if you think about it, you pause just for a second, look around you, look at all the devices you're using. You're probably highly, highly dependent on gasoline. You're probably highly dependent on electricity. You probably don't realize it, but you're highly dependent on coal. You're highly dependent on natural gas. You're highly dependent on all these resources. Okay, in the beginning, none of this was actually available. What took and transpired is there was an evolution or industrialization that took place that allowed all countries to rise. So America rose. We rose faster than anybody else. But it allowed all ships to take and to rise. The big problem is, is what, what does it look like when all of this starts to unwind and we start having a collapse? So this is, this is the major point of why we're looking at this, this book, trying to understand how it plays out. Okay? All right. So... Before, before the Americans secured the, the oceans, there's a chart in here that says globalization and its effect, and it was showing the recessions. Recessions, this, this chart goes to, back to 1876, um, and then it goes all the way up through 2015. And if you look between 1876 to, to 1932, like recession, 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 these are global they, they plow globally, but these are global recessions that took and transpired. But after this industrialization took place, all of a sudden you see recessions, but they're spread out. Like on the left side of this graph, it looks like it looks like just constant ink come up and down. And then after that, after the industrialization, all of a sudden it started spreading out. Collectively, we figured out how to take and how do you get food from one location to another to be able to help a population. So let's take and pause for a second. Let's look at what what is happening with Russia and Ukraine. Ukraine, for example, they provide 41% of the wheat that goes into the entire world. Massive output of wheat production that takes and takes and transpired. Okay, that wheat production is being damaged and is actually being brought offline. Now you have countries like um, I like looking to Saudi Arabia. You got countries like this in arid regions where their their export product is like oil, but they require the import of being able to receive food. 
right? And as a result, they have populations that are built up globally that are much larger than they could have supported had we had not been industrialized. We would have had, we would have been able to generate food and support populations based on proximity to the food, okay? So those are some things that took and shifted substantially. Well, one of the things that took and transpired or shifted substantially is, is back in the day, uh, I mean, think about it. Like, I remember going to, to, to college, being with a bunch of kids that were coming off of farms and moving away from the farms because it was no longer necessary. They had big equipment that could take them, they could till the, till the ground, plow it up, and take care of bringing in the harvest. Okay, one of the big shifts that took and transpired by that. See, back in the day, having kids was a necessity to be able to manage that large crop, to be able to, to, to provide. But as we become industrialized, all of a sudden, instead of being um, out in the outskirts or not, um, in the suburbans, we start to become urbanized. Everybody could, instead of being on the farm, they could start coming in into the urban area. And as a result, what happened is, is we had a major shift in demographics or the, the amount of births that were taking and transpiring inside the United States and inside the entire world. Well, the problem is, is we, is we take and we go back. So this chart right here, it's, it's called historic fertility rates. So if we go back to the 1850s, on average, a woman would have somewhere between, they have different charts on here, somewhere between five to six and a half, seven kids, okay? What happened is, is as we started to urbanize, we no longer needed the kids to be able to, to help us take care of the farmland because now mom could go to work and there was this major really cool invention, it's kind of surprising, the U.S. government awarded a patent for uh, rubberization to Charles Goodyear. Yes, this is Goodyear the tire, which um, put the put the industry on a path to making um, very cheap, reliable condoms. So collectively, we started introducing birth control, which then caused a shrinkage of the amount of kids that people were having. So as a result, the birth rates dropped. From five, somewhere between five, five and a half to six, we started dropping down into the about one, one and a half to one and a half to two to, to, to like three range. Okay. Basically, it cut the birth rates in half. But the problem is, is you see how this takes and it plays out. So here's a chart of Italy. Now, if you were to take a look at the way the chart should be. Like what it is, is this chart is showing the aging demographics. It really should look like a pyramid. There should be very few old people. Then as you come down, there should be more and more and more and more people until you get to the very bottom, which is a pile of little kids. The problem is, is because we industrialized, because all of a sudden, instead of being out there on the farms, we came in, the, the charts are starting to look like, like a, a round ornament that you put on a tree. So it's got a thin top got this great big fat middle where all these people that were born but then didn't have kids and then it comes down to the bottom where it's very few well the problem is is what it's meaning is is these countries are setting themselves up for a collapse okay because they don't have younger kids or people at a younger age that are still able to have kids to take and to replace the population so you've got Italy Italy looks just about like an orb, okay? Like it's very, it's very thin on the bottom, doesn't have a whole lot of kids, and it's got a big fat middle where all these people are aging. Um, 
Italy's been doing this. It's not just Italy that's doing it. China, for example, China in 2022 is the fasting, fastest aging society in human history. They like China. What they would do is they they would go so far as like you can't have you can't have more than one or two kids. Then they started putting people inside your house and saying, now not only are we going to make sure you you don't have kids, we're going to make we're going to we're going to put boots on the ground in this house and make sure that you don't have kids. Okay, um, China's not the only one. So here's countries that are in major trouble. So for countries as varied as China, Russia, Japan, Germany. Italy, South, uh, South Korea, Ukraine, Canada, Malaysia, Taiwan, Romania, Netherlands, Belgium, and Australia. All of these economies um, are aging themselves into obsolescence because they do not have enough to take and to replace. They don't have enough kids at the bottom end. They're not the only ones that's doing it. So we have similar dem uh, demographic uh, disintegrations in the 20s and uh, 2030s and 2040s in the following countries. So you got Brazil, Spain, Thailand, Poland, Australia, Cuba, Greece, Portugal, Hungary, Switzerland. Now they're not the only ones. So here's some another group that's going to have that are not going to fare much better. Okay, you got Bangladesh, India, Indonesia, Mexico, um, Vietnam, Iran, Turkey, Morocco, uh, Istan, um, Uzbekistan, Saudi Arabia, Chile, and Czechos. Uh, uh, Czech Republic. Every one of these have a, a demographic that is actually aging faster than they're actually replacing it. I mean, think about it. Like in, inside the United States, okay, check this out. There was the baby boomers. There's 17 million baby boomers. So then the very next generation, Generation X, um, right after, no, 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 no. The silent generation, the generation before the baby boomers, there was only 19 million people in that generation. The baby boomers went from 19 million. Their population jumped all the way up to like 70 million people. Okay? Like massive expansion, massive growth. Okay? Problem is, is when, when you have that, when you have that group of 70 million, and then the, the next generation, Generation X, it's close, like 70 million-ish. Okay? What it is, is you got 140 million people supporting 19 million people trying to retire. See, so it's like, it basically was like uh, 17 to 1. But now that we've got the baby boomer generation starting to retire, we now have 140 million because the next generation, the millennials, thank goodness the millennials were actually more populous than what the Gen Xs are. But as a result, now we've got 140 million trying to help 70 million people retire. Now it's a two to one ratio. So our ratios at this point are all out of whack. Okay. The United States is still better off than most of these countries. Most of these countries are having, their, their populations are, are, there are so few kids trying to support all these ones that are trying, trying to retire that it's becoming crazy. Um, it's becoming very dangerous. Okay. So. What do we got to understand? Okay, let's that now. Now that we got that kind of under our belts, let's back up and take a look. So let's look at the power or the the blessings of taking being in America. And so the author right here, he lives in Colorado. He says, "Look, he goes, I can get gasoline sourced in Colorado, refined in Colorado. Got a snowblower that's manufactured in Minnesota, asphalt from Oklahoma, wood framing from Montana." 
Um, Com Networks, um, composed of steel from Ohio, aluminum from Kentucky, and plastics from Texas. See, the, the good thing about America is collectively, America has access. It's, it's, it's the most, it's the best country on the planet to take and to be in because we have access to resource. We have abundant amount of resources that we can use and tap to be able to take and to provide for our lives. A lot of these countries, they don't have it. Um, like you could say, it says uh, right here, he says, he goes, I beg the question, uh, what will Shanghai do without oil? Or what's Berlin going to do without steel? Or Rehad, I think that's how you say it, without any food. Not every country is set up very well like the United States. He goes and says Zimbabwe, and he's talking about Zimbabwe and Venezuela. In both cases, mismanagements um, are excellent, destroyed the ability of both countries to produce for their export goods. Food stuff, in the case of Zimbabwe, oil and oil products, in the case of Venezuela, resulting in funds shortages so extreme that the ability of countries to import largely collapsed. These, these countries, because of the way they position themselves, they literally slept or slid off into something that was as bad or worse than the Great Depression because they don't have access to the resources. Okay, um, A lot of what he's going to talk about when he's talking about this beginning of the end is you've got to understand one of the biggest things that's killed more people on this planet, more than wars or anything else, is like literally people going hungry. So now you've got old populations that are collapsing because they're too old to, to take and to regenerate. But then everybody became very, very specialized in what they could do. Think about it. Like, what work do you take and do? Maybe you're a loan officer. Maybe you're a realtor. Maybe you're, maybe you work an assembly line. Maybe you're an accountant. But if you think about it, that is because you've generated a very, very specialized craft. Back in the day, you would have been a farmer. You would have been in the process of doing hunting and gathering. But the whole process, the whole system, everything works because you don't, in your mind, right here, right now, you do not have fear that you can get access to the stuff that you need. You believe that if you can go to Costco, you should be able to find some food. You believe that if you go down to the gas station, you should be able to find some gas. Okay? Thing is, is those, like America is better positioned than everybody else, but if you take and you look at how we've operated, we have become highly, highly dependent on Japan or China to be able to manufacture things and to bring things inside the United States. A lot of people in the world have. But that relationship right here, right now, is collapsing. And as a result of that collapsing, all of a sudden, things that you thought you had access to will all of a sudden shift. Now, the cool thing is, is being that you're inside the United States, maybe you're not. Like, if you're outside the United States, collectively, there's a few countries that are going to do well, but collectively, most of the countries throughout the entire world are screwed. There was a time when, when America was very, very pro protecting the oceans, pro-protecting and making sure, making sure everybody's shipping lanes were safe. But as time has moved on, the Americans have become less and less interested in figuring out how to protect all of those, all of those shipping ways so that the world would then lose access to be able to move products. So the big thing right here, I guess the big thing I've got right here is this takeaway is, is the model... The model is actually becoming very messy. Our ability to move stuff around the world, to bring things in to be safe, is actually deteriorating. 
Like, there's some countries. Here, here's a country like Japan. Now, if you think Japan doesn't exactly have a huge space, but they have a very old demographic. But like the, the one thing that Japan got right is they said, okay, wait a minute. We already know that we're already aging. We already know that we have this, we have this problem. We already know that we have, we have uh, access to resource problems. But the one thing that Japan is is they're very smart. And they said, okay, what we're going to do is we are going to build in the markets where, where we take and serve. So think about it. You got Toyota that's inside the United States. You got Honda that's inside the United States. They set up manufacturing facilities and started building where the customers were. Therefore, they could take and protect themselves so that they can be insulated from when their demographics completely collapse. They can be insulated from not having access to resources and stuff. And so Japan, they, they, they basically they called it build where you sell. That's the way that they took and they set themselves up. There's not a lot of countries that could do that because they don't necessarily have the technical knowledge on how to figure this out. So there's, here's, here's some markets that actually do have some skills or that could take and pull this off. So uh, you got Japan that can do it. You got Denmark, Netherlands, United Kingdom, Singapore, South Korea, Taiwan. Those are a couple that come to, come to mind that could take and do it. A lot of other countries throughout the world are not actually in a spot where they could take and do it. You see what I'm saying? They then became screwed. The one thing that took and transpired, you remember when COVID hit in, 20, in 2020? Like the one thing that the coronavirus did that really hurt us is it, it, it kind of robbed us of time, but it also came with a benefit. What it did is it exposed to us how weak our how weak and how dependent we are on our different supply chains. So that basically I felt like it was a it was an awakening so we could start saying, okay, how do we take and we deal with this? Like take Apple for, for example. Like last week, here's the thing that came out. Okay, the United States says, look, China, China is trying to figure out how to get hands on very, very high-end chips and semiconductors. Because what they want to do is figure out how to make nuclear type weapons. They want to figure out how to do all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, the Americans have finally said enough's enough. Us and our allies have said, okay, if you're in China and you're in the high-tech semiconductor space, you can either get out of the country or lose your citizenship. And so there was a mass exodus that took and transpired. Okay, we are no longer in the business of helping China have access to these chips. And so all of a sudden, we're creating more separation and more space between how us and China operates. Um, well, China right now, they've got most of their people locked down because they, they got COVID. They're very, in fact, they're like in China, they have this, um, the Apple, I think they call it Apple City. It's like 30,000 workers. They basically, they ended up uh, locking them inside this building so that they could take and eat, sleep, and work right there in the Apple uh, plants to be able to make the iPhones. Um, therefore, they didn't go in and out. Therefore, they couldn't. They weren't out transmitting this COVID. Okay. Problem is, is all of that is actually starting to unwind, and as a result, I don't know. There's going to be a lot of deaths. There's a lot of crazy stuff that's going to happen in China. They don't have enough electricity for what they need to do. So they can either provide electricity to their homes or they can provide electricity to the plants. But they really don't, they don't have the power to do both. Okay. So coronavirus really, really became a major wake-up call, helping people understand how things are going to play out. Okay. So if you want to look at 
America. So, like, throughout the entire world, there's going to be pain. There's going to be pain no matter what. There's, there's resources that the United States doesn't have that we have to figure out how to source through other countries. But we actually have the naval power to do it. Problem is, is our, our access to cheap, reliable, easy stuff all of this is starting to change. There's, there's stuff that was manufactured like Germany. Germany is a major manufacturer of equipment, okay? They're probably the best in the world. Um, okay, like we need access to different things like that. And somehow we've got to figure out how to industrialize this stuff at home. So if you want to have a ray of hope being here in America, here's the things to understand. Not things are going to be bad, but the United States has the highest quality tempered zones um, available farmland than any other country basically in the world in, in all of, in the, especially in North America um, we have America has more land suitable for habitation seasonable climate it's relatively flat uh, good water access lack of pests than any other country in the world okay the cheapest way to transport anything is typically on water the United States has more canals, waterways combined in total than the rest of the world. So the United States has got the best of it all. Um, courtesy of the Shell Revolution, we have access to uh, tons of oil. In fact, we're one of the world's largest oil production producers now. Um, the United States on an energy sector, check this out. The United States is first world country is the first world country close, closest to the equator granting it more solar uh, solar potential than any other country while it is positioned by mountains and east coast giving it more wind potential than any other country so whether it's green or fossil fuel driven americas have more energy potential or access than anybody else okay we have we have uh, the united states has not faced a security threat from within North America continent since uh, 1840. Like the Canadian border is the least patrolled border in the entire world. Down in Mexico, there's already, it's naturally very dangerous to take and to traverse those locations, trying to figure out how to get into America. But we created a relationship with Canada and Mexico, um, a free trade agreement that literally brought them all into the fold. So then we had access to cheap labor down in Mexico. And then we had the benefits of what Canada's got collectively. With The United States has got a perfect scenario. Plus we have oceans on both sides of us. So we have not been threatened from, we really don't experience great deals of threats from neighbors. And then to boot, the United States has got nukes. Okay. So we have better demographics than everybody else. We have access to more resources. We have access to all kinds of stuff that most people don't. Um, we have access to Mexico, which allows us to be able to continue to industrialize. One of the secrets of being able to, to scale out and build out your, your I'm not going to say an empire, but to take and to be successful is you have to have access to, you have to have access to low skilled labor, to low cost labor, all the way up to high cost labor, depending on what it is. Um, therefore, you can take and get stuff built and manufactured, um, so that it is, so that it makes sense. Okay, that right there is section one through section one of the end of the world is just the beginning. Um, hopefully, you got something out of this. What what I what I really want to be able to share with this is the world is changing. The way that we do things is changing. Like if we think that inflation is going to go away, the inflation is not going to go away. 
what, what you're seeing is across the entire world, there is a massive exodus. As people are starting to realize that they do not have the resources and they're trying to figure out how to take and to move forward, they're pulling, they're starting to do what China did, or not China, like Japan did, which is figuring out how to start building and manufacturing inside the United States because we have access to resources, energy, like no other country's got. But what it's going to do is, is all these things come in here and we're starting to try to build things up, it's still going to create scarcity of resources, which is then going to take and it's going to perpetually drive inflation higher. Basically, the United States is going to undergo another industrialization. Um, we are not going to be able to escape the pain. We are not going to suffer like a lot of the countries inside the world. So I will take and I'll bring you the next section uh, of this, the section two, and I will talk to you.